hey, Joe Casaboni here, and I'm just letting you know that how I built it is now Streamlined Solopreneur. So if you're seeing a new artwork and a new name in your podcast player, that is expected and by design. The new name better reflects the mission and really what has been the mission of this show for the last few years, and I'm really excited about it. All the links in the show notes and how I built it will still work, but the show also has a new home over at streamlined.fm if you want to check it out. Thanks so much for listening. Are you missing the boat on user-generated content, or UGC? UGC isn't just for getting testimonials on social media. In fact, today's guest, Tori Gray, says that we can use it for almost anything. SEO, user research, social proof, FAQs, and so much more. And she should know. Tori is a highly experienced digital marketing consultant and the founder of The Gray Dot Company. With more than 15 years of experience in SEO and growth strategy, Tori has helped numerous businesses achieve their goals through digital strategy with a focus on technical and strategic SEO. On top of all of the great advice that she gives us in this episode, we walk through a scenario, building a landing page from scratch with UGC. This is something I personally struggle with a lot, so her advice was invaluable here. Don't miss it. Plus, in the pro show, we talk about the mother of all UGC websites, Reddit. So if you want to catch that part of the conversation, you can head over to casabona.org slash join to become a member. Look for these top takeaways. The fact that you can create full pages from content using UGC, from photos to social proof to FAQs. That your process for collecting UGC doesn't have to be complicated. You can have a Google form or a Google doc with some pointed questions or even a swipe file from things that people are saying online, on social media or on review sites. And if you're not sure where to start with a new product, look at user-generated content for similar brands and products. People are always asking questions online, so do a little social media or Google keyword research and it will set you on the right path. This is a tight episode with a lot of great advice, so I really hope you enjoy it. But for now, let's get to the intro and then the interview. Hey, everybody, and welcome to How I Built It, the podcast where you get free coaching calls from successful creators. Each week, you get actionable advice on how you can build a better content business to increase revenue and establish yourself as an authority. I'm your host, Joe Casabona. Now let's get to it. All right. I am here with Tori Gray, the founder of the uh, Gray Dot Company. And I'm really excited because uh, we're going to talk about user-generated content, and then later on, we're going to talk about naming stuff, which I'm historically terrible at. So, Tori, <laughs> thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. It's going to be great. Uh, yeah, I, I just realized one of the questions I've uh, in the little how the sausage gets made for the listeners, right? We have a pre-interview right before the actual interview, mm-hmm. uh, and I usually go through how to say your name and uh, the your official title, um, mm-hmm. but we had a little printer issue. That was a small distraction for me. Um, Tori Gray is correct, right? I assume. Yes. All right, great. Um, and usually if it's like words I've never seen before, I, I make sure to do it. Uh, and then you're a digital marketing consultant and the founder of the Gray Dot Company, right? But you focus a lot on SEO growth strategy and and data and what to do with data, right? Yep, absolutely. 
Awesome. I'm really, uh, this is going to be such a great interview. Um, now we're talking about user-generated content. In the, in the pre-interview, I defined it one way, mm-hmm. um, which I think is probably the wrong way. Uh, but you had a different definition. So let's, let's just do a little baseline record setting. What is user-generated content? What the heck is it anyway? Absolutely. (laughs) So I'd say when most marketers and business people think of user-generated content, most of the time is they think about physical products and photos of those products that your users are submitting. So branded campaigns that you're running on Twitter or Instagram or whatnot to get pictures with hashtag your brand Mm -hmm. um, that you can then perhaps leverage on your website. But UGC can be so much more. So UGC, user-generated content, it's anytime a user is submitting content to you, the brand that you're allowed to leverage. Um, some of those ways in which that matters for SEO or you know driving traffic to your website via search engines is when you can create whole pages from that user-generated content. So um, big examples would be stuff like Etsy. Any third-party marketplace, including Amazon's third-party marketplace, users are submitting those to Amazon. They're filling out the the actual the they're supplying products. They're filling out the uh, page copy for all of those things. They're running that and managing that on your behalf. Another example would be for Canva. Canva provides their own templates for users to be able to leverage, but they also enable third parties to be able to. Um, add additional ones. You know, you you solve for the branding. Users know that it's different. Um, You know, your blog can have guest content and depending on that can be user-generated content. So Moz, for example, a very big popular SEO tool has a you blog, quote unquote. um, And that's a specific branded place where they enable uh, people to submit their very own content. So if you as a brand are enabling people to self-service submit you content that you can then leverage for your marketing purposes, that would be UGC. Um, You as a user might have also participated in UGC by creating your Etsy or Amazon listing um, or submitting your course on a Coursera or other course platform. So it goes both ways, but I have historically worked on the side of the brand that's collecting it and how to leverage that for SEO. Yeah. Now this is this is a really interesting and important point, right? Because like UGC is not necessarily new, right? There are some old websites like Awkward Family Photos, right? Mm-hmm. Is is one website that's Great like example. all UGC, right? People mm-hmm. are submitting their awkward family photos to yep. uh to display. I had I wish I could remember this idea, but it's been like 13 years now where people uh would submit like terrible stories from when they were intoxicated. This was when I was in college, obviously. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they could be anonymous. I had some friends, though, uh, just put their names in. And I'm like, you know, you don't have to include your name. Um, (laughs) But like text from last night, like like this is stuff like maybe pretty early UGC. Um, All social media is user-generated content. You've enabled the platform. But the platform where no one's there and no one's participating and no one's creating their tweets or their, you know, Facebook posts or whatnot. is is a wasteland and it's not useful. Facebook is a user generated content platform. Yeah, in a that's specific exact, capacity. That's exactly right. Which is probably why, uh, like Mastodon hasn't mm-hmm. really taken off as mm-hmm. as an actual heir apparent to Twitter. Right, mm-hmm. people are still on Twitter, and I, as a tech savvy user, tried going on Mastodon, and it's just like there are barriers. Yeah, there are a lot of barriers. Yeah, um, and like then even when you get on there, like you can only search for search terms in like your, your server. Yeah. 
You're, yeah, it's hard yeah. to find other people on different servers to follow them. Um, yeah, it's. Yeah. I, I tried it as well. It's. It just doesn't. It feels a little bit like an echo chamber. Right. Um, yeah. There's just not enough happening. You know, I feel like all the big people from Twitter moved to Mastodon, and if you could find them, it's still just them talking, but there's no engagement. Right. So you know, there's. UGC could be as big as that. It can be a whole industry. You know, it's even what Stack Exchange um, or GitHub, right? People are submitting the content to these companies. Um, But so it can be huge, but it can also be a section of your website. It can also be those images that people submit. Um, It can also be stories, right? It can be from big to small. So what I'm probably talking about here is stuff like, for example, the Amazon Q&As on their product pages that users can submit the questions and users can submit the answers as well as the seller. So there's lots of parties participating in the content that goes into an Amazon, you know, product listing page. Um, So is it content on a page or is a new section of your site that you can enable? Like if you're a Coursera and you want to enable people to upload their courses to sell on your own site. Um, Can you enable that kind of functionality? You know, testimonials, reviews, those are also user generated content. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and one more note on this that I, I just had, right? Is, well, first of all, in the pro show, I would love to talk to you about Reddit. Okay. Because um, yeah. they're like, as we record this, they're very in the news. Um, it's an interesting story. Yeah. Lots of user-generated content. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it is a very interesting story. So uh, if you want to catch that part of the conversation, you can sign up over at casabona.org slash join. Um but yeah, you're exactly right. Like we have these whole marketplaces, right? I mean, Apple, right? Their mm-hmm. app store is oh, yeah. mostly UGC and they're taking yeah. uh, like 30% of all sales. So it could also be very yep. lucrative to them. But for most people, um, it's about the the SEO benefit as well as others, right? So um, I think we talked about this a little bit already, but like the, the importance to brands and, and user-generated content one is is probably time saving, right? Like they don't mm-hmm. have to create the content, they don't have to go out and do a professional photo shoot that doesn't look like a professional photo shoot, is mm-hmm. right? In in your example, they don't have to think. You know, for my early products, uh, my FAQs were not FAQs; they were just questions that I thought people might ask. Right? Mm-hmm. Those were not frequently asked. Those were just questions that I thought might be asked. Right? But yeah. Um, with the with UGC, you're getting actual questions that people are asking. Yep, absolutely. Uh, so, how I guess how can brands? This is a lot easier in the social media age, but how can brands elicit and gather uh, mm-hmm. UGC? And then, what kind of permission do they need to reuse it? I guess that's a, a two parter. Yeah. Um, A lot of it is the technology to enable it. So, you know, there are certainly third-party out-of-the-box plugins that enable you to leverage um, the sort of social media product image use case and to embed them on your brand's website. Um, That's one of the very few rare existing software support for UGC. Most of the time what we're talking about is custom development to enable this. Um, I've also seen some you know, using Google Docs to submit your name and your author bio and all these things if you're going to submit, say, a guest post blog. Right. And, and then you might have to agree to some terms and conditions. So per your, like, permissions comment, you need to work with a lawyer and you need to figure out how you <laughs> want to be able to use it. Um, and 
you know, what permissions you need to enable to do that. And then the users simply opt in. It's terms and conditions, just like anywhere else on the web. Um, they're submitting content to you. They're allowing you to market with it. Um, it doesn't, you know, does it belong to you? Does it belong to them? These are questions to answer. It's not as complicated as you might think, honestly. Um, it's like working out a privacy policy for your website. It's that level of detail for how you're going to be able to leverage this content. Right. And I mean, for, um, for smaller creators, right, it could be as as simple as someone makes a comment on your LinkedIn post and then you DM them and say, Hey, can I use this on my landing pages? Like, hey, can I use yes. this in in paid yep. ads or whatever? Yep, it can be it can be low scale. And to to talk back or to touch back on your point about like why we would do this, mm-hmm. yes, it's a lot about resource and time savings because you can scale more easily if you're not using up all of those time and resources. It's also about social uh, proof. It's about trust and validation. It's about awareness and visibility because if people have stuff on your website, they're going to want to share it on their own websites yeah. and on their own social media profiles because hopefully they're proud of it and they want to put it out there in the world. Um, you know, depending on who's contributing to your site, it can build you some trust in that way. So if you have some popular influencers, you now have brand association right. with them that can build trust in you. Um, and you can potentially often become the lead brand in your category and you can get more outreach. You can get brand deals landing on your doorstep. Um, new people, Landing on your store, you know, landing on your doorstep. You can get link building. There, there's a million benefits um, that can really help the why. Explain the why about why you want to be doing this because <laughs> you're letting people do the work for you. Yeah, right. It's like it's kind of personal to uh, to you or your company or the the mm-hmm. people who are seeking that content, right? I mean, yeah. um, I wouldn't say that like this podcast or interview podcasts are necessarily user generated content. The host should be doing a lot of work. I've seen some podcasts mm-hmm. like phone it in. They're just like, yeah, submit a five minute clip of you talking and we'll release it. And I'm like, I guess that's user generated content. I can't imagine how well that podcast does though. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of podcasters do want to seek big guests mm-hmm. because it gives them that social proof, right? Absolutely. Oh, hey, Seth Godin came on my podcast. Maybe that means I can get you know, exactly. Uh, whoever next, uh, Rand Yeah, that's your reason yeah. for other people to join you. For yeah, sure. Yeah, right, right, absolutely. Um, and then social proof and trust and validation. I think this is something that even now I still struggle with because I'm very much like a field of dreams marketer. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I've built this thing and it's good, and I know it's good, mm-hmm. so people should buy it. Mm-hmm. And that was like that totally worked in like the 1950s. It's like buy our car. It's a good car, right? <laughs> but mm-hmm. like, you can't do that anymore, right? You need. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more information out there. There's also a lot more garbage out there, to be honest. And so, like, you need the trust and the validation and the social proof from other people who are like, yeah, Joe knows what he's talking about. Yeah. I mean, it is the online version of what hopefully people are doing in real life, too. Yeah, right. Hopefully they're talking about you. And hopefully they're talking about you online in ways that you can, you know, use to help grow your business. Yeah, absolutely. And this was like, I taught a computer literacy class at the University of Scranton for a while. And one of the things I talked about was kind of how Google works, right? And how mm-hmm. like page rank at a very basic level, I'm not an SEO expert, but like um, backlinks were essentially like the recommendations for a long time, right? It was, mm-hmm. it was very much like if you had, if you wanted to go to a mechanic, you wouldn't just open the phone book and find a mechanic. You would mm-hmm. ask your friend or your dad or your mom or whoever, hey, oh, do you recommend a mechanic, right? Because mm-hmm. that, there's implicit trust there. Yep. Um, and so now, again, like someone tweeting, hey, this person's great at X. 
Mm-hmm. That that is that recommendation, that backlink. It absolutely is. So you uh, you mentioned um, uh, custom development to enable this using Google Docs. Uh, there are some automation. Um, I'm a big automation person, so there are definitely mm-hmm. ways that you can uh, automate this. And then, as far as the permission goes, you said like I'm not a lawyer, uh, mm-hmm. Tori. I don't think you're a lawyer. Um, yeah. But you do you do want to make sure that you get that permission. Um, and as the user, you also want to make sure that you are clear on what permission you're giving, right? So uh, I saw I saw a story yesterday on Facebook. Uh, this woman posted that um, this brand, this like singles, uh, this dating app for for single parents, mm. was using her picture. Oh no! Uh, in an ad, mm. um, and yeah. she has never been a single parent. And she ha- she says she happened to be pregnant in the uh, the ad the picture which was taken in 2016 and now it's using it's being used as an ad. Okay. Uh, it turns out she was using some other third party app that was also owned by this mm. company. So like, uh, so I mean, I still report like I found the ads and reported them because that's still like super smarmy. But like legally. She- it's That's possible that she gave sure. them permission, right? Mm-hmm. It's unclear. Um, so, I mean, if you're creating this user-generated content, I just kind of assume it's, if I'm doing something on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, it could show up in an ad for, for something. Potentially. I mean, yeah. you know, as someone who's worked for these brands, I, I'd yeah. a, if you're going to put someone on the spotlight like that, you probably want to ask for permissions. Do you want yeah. to feature someone's review? Yeah. You know, I'm a services-based business. I'm going to ask for reviews, but I'm not going to feature it on my homepage and send it to people unless they've given me permission, above and beyond verbal permission. Um, right. So you're not putting someone on blast like yeah. that. So there's the legal permissions, and then there's just like the moral and brand sort of trust relationship that you want to build with them. If you want to feature them in an ad, there's plenty of people that would be stoked to be in an ad and are going to want to share that, right? So you can ask them and, you know, legally you might not have to, but that doesn't mean that's not a good idea to, to build your brand trust and to make sure you have the right person that's going to be shouting that from the rooftops. Look, I'm on the featured ad. That's really exciting. Don't you want that from as a, a benefit to what you're doing? Yeah, that's exactly right, right? And I like, I love what you said there, not just verbal permission. Yeah. <laughs> Get it in writing. Right. Mm, yeah. Get them excited um, yeah. for for being featured. Um, and again, from like a creator kind of brand deals point of view, like I just want to point out, this is something that Justin Moore, I'll link to his episode, um, told me about like be explicitly clear about if you do brand deals where, because um, I guess like the one thing that user generated content isn't necessarily is when a brand pays me to like create a reel, right? That's, that's no mm-hmm. longer... It looks like UGC, but it's really like a paid ad, right? If they're paying for me to do it. Yeah, it's just services rendered. Right. So, um, but still, right, they might want to use that in paid advertising because it looks mm-hmm. like UGC or it, yeah. or, or whatever. Um, well, see, so yeah. an example would be there was a platform, Talent House, and they mm-hmm. ran the social network uh, Elo. And Elo is a social network for creatives. So people would share their art and they would run these branded campaigns. So say it's Absolute Vodka or Ferrari, who are actual examples of, of brands I okay. that they worked with. Um, so they have this database of artists and they can say, hey, do you want to try and help us create these social sharing images? So, um, br- you know, and, and I think there was a prize. So 
lots of people would submit their content. And then certain people, if they won, would be paid. You know, like, we're going to pick one, we're going to pick five. We're going to pick five major winners and then 10 sub winners. And then suddenly they have a bunch of different content that they can share with all these different brands. So that would sort of be an edge case that's mm-hmm. much more user-generated focused than, yeah. like, I contracted with one user to make my content and I paid them and now I'm right. sharing it. And they don't get their put their name on this, right? right. Whereas right. this sort of in-between, you know, that's a lot of different variation, a lot of different users who may or may not be being compensated. Um, yeah, it's it's almost like 99designs. Do you remember that website? Oh, God. Flash, flashback right there. Yeah, right? 99designs, for some of our younger listeners, uh, mm-hmm. it was a website where, like, you could basically submit like a logo brief and say like, hey, I need a logo for this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then people would design logos and then you would pick the best one and, and pay them. Mm-hmm. And But like that still gave 99designs a bunch of different designs to use and display or mm-hmm. the person who created the brief to to use and riff off of too. So I think that was, there are a lot of really interesting edge cases there. But for the most part, you know, UGC can be really powerful both for the brand and for the creator. Now, um, let's let's do a little case study action. This is not something that I prepped you for, but I thought of this as we were talking, right? Because okay. um, a lot of our listeners are creators or small business owners. They likely have a digital product like a course mm-hmm. um, yeah. or a membership. Um, and something that you said uh, a few times now struck me as as user generated content could be really good for research, right? Uh, figuring out what questions to ask. So um, is this like a good, do you mind if we do this exercise? This is like, we're all right, great. We're, we're doing it live as a disgraced TV personality once said. Um, (laughs) So let's say I have uh, a membership, right? Um, Mm -hmm. I have like the basic outline. Uh, I have what I want to give the users uh, or what I want to give the members and I'm building the landing page. Mm -hmm. Uh, I or the listener, where do we start as far as user-generated content goes, right? Because like maybe I haven't launched the membership yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not getting testimonials. Mm-hmm. Um, am I going for like FAQs? Am I going for people I've worked one-on-one with? What's What's my first play? I mean, pre-launch, you're probably looking for a select group of people to review it so you can get reviews and testimonials. Um, And you probably want, you might even be paying them like a professional or an influencer to to put their name on it to help you get it out there. Um, But as you grow and as you start to have members who are participating, then you're thinking about adding okay, you, ha- you can submit me questions. Maybe that's through customer service and maybe you're obfuscating that and generalizing it and putting that on your site as FAQs, right? So that the source of that is actual user-generated information, but it's not like you're leveraging their content live. Um, but, okay, so I actually worked at a... Um, uh, it, it was courses, online courses, education, but it was in the crafting space. So this is Craftsy uh, circa 10 years ago. And we had crafting classes that people could participate in. So this is literally courses people are, are enrolling in. So one form of user-generated content was we enabled people to ask time-stamped ta- time questions within the platform. And that meant the, the the instructor could see it and could potentially answer those. They might comment on, I don't understand, can you 
explain more about what you did there or um, why did you do that or hey that's a great new tip I love that and then other users can see it who are also participating in this course so maybe they run across the same question and maybe they have the same thought Um, and then they can participate and you're adding these sort of social media elements to it Um, this is not exposed to search engines this is going to help you with your SEO but it does help with user engagement and it was really honestly hugely compelling and it was a beloved brand and I'd say this is a key reason why. There were timestamps, people were participating, they were having the same issue at the same time, and they could figure that out and get over that hump and learn that much more. And I think that that very much applies to any course that you're giving, whatever you're educating people on. Where does that question pop up? If one person thinks it, probably other people are going to. Plus, you're talking about all these different edge use cases. So maybe it's a very popular question, but maybe it's this that only happens to three people in this very Mm -hmm. small edge case. And now you've helped them too. Um, And now you have less work to do because you're not answering all of those individually through customer service, you know, all of those individual questions. What we also enabled outside of the actual courseware, you know, obviously ratings and reviews, we can do that once people are taking it. But we also enabled stuff like projects and patterns. So in the crafting world, you need a pattern if you're going to knit something. You're going to follow this template. So people sell these on Etsy, but we enabled people to sell it, and we weren't going to take a cut. But that meant pattern providers were going to build a store on our site, and they were going to upload everything. They were going to describe everything, and they were going to sell everything. And then they're going to link to it. That's a huge benefit for SEO. We also enabled projects. So you built this thing either from the pattern or from the course, And you're excited and you want to celebrate and you want to show it off. So you're going to submit what this is. You're going to submit data about what it's associated with. Is it tied to the class? There's good internal linking that's helpful for SEO. And here's the pattern that it's associated with. And here's the group that it's in. So we can say, suddenly I can start to rank for this particular kind of knitting, you know, baby blanket pattern, for example. Suddenly you're showing up for that because you have a bunch of things in that category. So you're showing up for that. And people are happy and celebrating in their projects, so they're sharing that too. Um, So these are the sort of things that are ancillary to your product, but suddenly people have to give you their email to sign up Mm -hmm. for these services. Suddenly you can start to email market them. Um, The ways it fits with your other channels is lovely because then we could also share these great projects and celebrate these people on social media where we had communities to say like, Abuser X shared this amazing and beautiful project or this amazing pattern, you should go buy it. Don't worry, we're not taking a commission. Um, There's all sorts of like lovely brand trust and love building associations with letting people to participate and show off and show all their individual use cases. Um, This is the pattern that's really specific that they really love. That's rich original content for your site. Hey there. I want to tell you about Sensei. Sensei is the original solution for creating and selling online courses with WordPress and it's back and better than ever. As a course creator with Sensei, you get complete ownership over your content and the freedom to customize as much as you need. Sensei has vastly improved the course creation experience, adding a customizable distraction-free mode, video and lesson progression, powerful reporting, and a full set of interactive content blocks. And those blocks, like flashcards, image hotspots, and interactive videos, can be added to any page or post, not just the courses. The goal of Sensei is to make it effortless for course creators to develop personalized instruction for learners. 
And while Sensei is free to start, you can save 20% on Sensei Pro, allowing you to charge for courses, drip out content, manage groups and cohorts, and leverage new AI tools. Just go to howibuilt.it slash sensei to have the discount automatically applied. That's howibuilt.it slash S-E-N-S-E-I. Hey, real quick before we get back into the episode, I want to tell you about my free newsletter, Podcast Workflows. If you are wondering how I can successfully run this show, plus two other shows, plus run a business, plus run three children, Podcast Workflows is for you. You will get weekly emails with behind-the-scenes look on how I produce this show, experiments I am trying with other podcasts, and general advice to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. You'll also have the opportunity to become a member and get ad-free extended episodes of this show as well as bonus content. You can do all of that over at podcastworkflows.com join. That's podcastworkflows.com slash join. Sign up for free today. Which is really, really important for Google and search engines in general. If we like take a step back and generalize it a little bit, um, you know, if you are, if you create courses, if you give a talk, I've seen this in talks too, right? People at the beginning of like conference talks they give, they'll say like, hey, here's a link, ask questions. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I'll have it monitoring up here. I can even add the questions onto the project the projector like um this is like 1990 um <laughs> onto the screen like you know mm-hmm. uh, during the q a section like mm-hmm. stuff like that now you yeah. have you, now you don't need to remember the questions that people ask during your talk right now you have mm-hmm. like a, yep. a log of that um and again as people go through your course or your membership you want to make sure to ask them you got to ask for the testimonials right like most people aren't mm-hmm. just going to willfully give them to you yep so um, this is this is great, and then again, it gives you a little bit of a little bit more like user research, right? Um, yeah. This is why people tell you to uh, like drip out a course live the first time you give it, right? Because mm-hmm. you don't want to like make a course in a silo for uh, six months and then realize this is not what people asked for when you could have just did the first lesson and understand yeah. what people were were asking yep. for, right? Yes, um, wholeheartedly agree. Yeah, absolutely. I have a I have a very relatable story here. This was like uh, I again I taught at the University of Scranton, and um, I was teaching a a programming course to MBA students. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this was not computer science, mm-hmm. um, but they they had a prerequisite of HTML and CSS. So they had the mm-hmm. they had a prereq mm-hmm. of the beginner web development stuff, and I was teaching the advanced web development stuff. And on the first day of class. I said, all right, so uh, you all took the prereq, so you know HTML and CSS, right? And they went, no. And I said, you know what a web server is, right? And they said, no. And I'm like, you know how to use FTP, right? And they said, no. And I said, no. what happened? And they're like, we all just got written into this class because it's our last year and we had to take it. Hmm. So if I had just forged through and oh, like no, taught my original chance. lesson plan, they, mm-hmm. they would have been completely lost. So I actually had to rework like the whole semester. Um, and also write like a very strongly worded email to yes. the head of the department going, what what did you do here? Yeah. Um, but, and you know, again, this is like in the classroom, you can get that feedback. Online, you need to ask for that feedback and ask, what are your biggest struggles? Yeah. Uh, how can I help you the most? And things like yeah. that. So critical to meet people where they are like that. Or you're not yeah. taking them on the journey with them and you're not helping them. You're just alienating them. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I guess this is another thing I, I, I want to ask you about too, because it comes up on the show a lot. Like you need to talk to your customers. You need to talk to your potential users. Um, I feel like there's still resistance in that. Like people are almost afraid Mm -hmm. to get the real opinion of their potential customers. They just want to build something. Um, Can you speak to, I mean, like, have you ever worked with a brand where there was hesitation in that and and how you talked them through it? Um, I mean, I think that's a sort of early launch problem Uh um, because I think you get over that pretty quickly if you've grown. Right. Um, and I'm, I tend to work with bigger companies, uh, transparently, but I think I'd actually say there's a way you can step into that, that Uh might help you with your comfort level, which is people are already asking things on the internet. People are already asking questions. Yeah. We, that is data that you can get. You can understand what people are looking for on Google. Google provides that to you via the keyword planner. So if you're a paid advertiser on Google, you can get access to that data. You can also purchase a third-party tool like an Ahrefs or a SEMrush. And you can see, again, what questions are people asking and how often are they asking it. And then you can kind of answer those questions. So if you're an established brand, if you're a Costco, you can see specific to your brand all these different questions that users are asking that you can go about answering. Um, you can also look if you're newly launching, but you have an established, you know, service line, cate- whatever category your business is in. If people already do that out in the world, you can see what people are asking about the, the, the service line or the industry in general or specific to your competitors. And you can understand where they're frustrated with their competitors, where you can then meet that need. So it's a way to step into how do you get that feedback? How do you understand what people are looking for? That data is freely available to you. Or you can work with a company like us that can help you process that and put that in a meaningful, more actionable package for you. Um, but, But bottom line, this data is out there. Work with someone smart that can help you answer those questions, put that out there. Then once you're in front of users, you know, there can be some give and take and you you know, users are going to submit their questions to you and their issues with you, whether you like it or not. So, yeah, really good point. So, like, leverage social platforms, Twitter, yep. Reddit, Google, and mm-hmm. see what people are saying about, you know, starting a podcast, podcast automation, whatever, like, whatever it is you do. I just named mm-hmm. what I do. Um, I also want to do a quick full disclosure since you mentioned uh, Hrefs. Hrefs is a former sponsor of this podcast. Okay. Tori didn't know that, but I I feel like I need to disclose anytime it's mentioned. Totally. Um, Awesome. So I, so, so summing up here, everything we've talked about with UGC so far, first of all, really important. Second of all, it could fill a lot of different roles Mm -hmm. in your content strategy, right? From people submitting full blog posts to helping you generate content for a landing page, vis-a-vis testimonials or FAQs, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, If, if, uh, and then I guess we, we did talk about if someone wants to get started with user-generated content today, um, would you say like, just ask on your social platform of choice? Like, is that a good starting point for, let's say the individual creator who, who is posting on LinkedIn or Twitter regularly? Yeah, I mean, they're sort of already doing it. Like, they're submitting their own user-generated content to LinkedIn, and then they're eliciting user-generated content from users who might ask questions or might support and might share. Um, You can ask if you can leverage that on your website. You can start enabling, you know, actually in the software, you know, building a way for users to submit those questions um, or to fill out a contact form. You could have certain fields where you're asking specific questions so they can answer it. Well, survey-esque, but, you know, asking pertinent things about their use case and how that 
matters to them so you can exhibit that. Um, so if you want your testimonial, for example, you could ask what industry they're in or, mm-hmm. you know, their seniority um, or their location is a common one. So if you have that as a separate field, then you can then use that to share that information as all of these specific use cases. And, you know, as you grow, you can talk about, hey, we have a lot of people in this industry in this industry. So that's helpful for marketing so I can target them. And it's also helpful just messaging to people and ranking in those specific regions because now you have those words on your site. Yeah, um, that's such a great point. I had a friend, uh, my friend Kat Mulvihill um, emailed her list. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope she's cool with me telling this story, actually. I mean, she told it at a conference, so I guess it's probably okay. Um, where, like, she emailed her list and she learned that there was, like, not a majority, but there were a lot of like priests and pastors in her audience. Mm. And she helps people with their online video presence, right? So mm. it makes sense, right? Because if you're doing gotcha. like a weekly sermon or whatever, but mm-hmm. she had no idea until she like emailed her list and was like, yeah. hey, what do you do? What are your struggles? And so really, like it could like really unearth uh, interesting data for you. Absolutely. Um, they're people, they're unique. Yeah. You can figure out how they, you know, emotionally how they connect or industry how they connect or location how they connect. There's all these different data points. Yeah. And I, I would also make the point that as Google moves towards SGE, the search generative experience that they're working on releasing here soon, right? Google wants to do a better job with all these unique use cases that people are looking for. So when they announced it at the I.O. conference, they talked about, you know, the woman who is looking for a dress and shoes to go to this Miami wedding, right? And before, she might have to look for dresses that are comfortable in hot weather and Mm -hmm. can handle sweat and, you know, are going to be colorful and fun enough in Miami. So all these very specific use cases. So as we look forward to this future that is very specific and long tail, think about leveraging that data from your users so you can show those use cases on your site. So if you're scared about the future of SGE and you don't know how to handle it, explore UGC and explore having your users collect all those individualized use cases for you and share their experiences. You can have the prompts where you can say, is this for an event? What event? What's the occasion? Um, what was important to you about this? The color, the the sweat factor, whatever yeah. it is. Like, don't just enable people to do it and have, have big open fields. Get specific about the different use cases. Um, and then you can suddenly that prompts people, you know, to think about it. Right. Um, people also like gamify this if we want to go back to some retro marketing techniques, yeah. right? Like you filled out your profile all the way. Um, this is like an amazing article. Look, you're giving the best review ever. Whatever it is, you can give them points. You can tie that into a, a you know, a referral or a couponing system, right? right. Um, but you can get people to submit this information to you and then you can share that experience and use that. And maybe think of things that your marketing team didn't ever think of to your exact example. Yeah, I think this is a really a really good point to make, especially with the, um, uh, like, give them prompts, right? Because if you give people, if you put them too much in a box, but also if you put them, like, too much in yeah. an open space, like, they're not going to answer, right? Like, I've always heard, like, don't ask, like, what's the biggest problem you're facing, right? Because, mm-hmm. like, now people are going to be like, oh, what is the the yeah. biggest problem? How I'm do I facing? decide which one? Yeah, it just say, like, what's a problem you're facing, right? And now it's mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, good. So it's like, if you give them certain prompts, it's like, not what did you like about this dress, but, like, how how did the dress fit, right? Or, like, how yeah. did this t-shirt fit? Like, oh, well, that's a very, what did I like about this dress? I get, looked nice. I don't know, I got a lot of compliments or whatever, right? Like, yeah. it was comfortable. 
Exactly. Um, people will just be yeah. like, yeah, I liked it. I liked it. What did it. you like about it? Okay. Right, yeah. Yeah. You know, and people have already, e-commerce sites have already started collecting like height and weight information because different clothes will fit different people with different proportions. So I think we're moving towards that direction, but I think there's a lot more to be desired in terms of, I don't see people collecting occasion. I don't see people collecting style. So if it's a couch for a living room, I want this couch and it's going to fit my aesthetic of blank. That's information you can collect and you can share and you can start to rank better for the term when people are looking for their edge case it's important to them. Yeah, that's a that's a super interesting point, right? Because like services like Stitch Fix exist mm-hmm. for like that reason, right? It's like I I don't know what clothes are gonna fit me as a five five bulky guy uh, who is tan or whatever. Um, but like if I tell Stitch Fix all that, like they have experts hopefully who can find me like yeah. the, the right T shirt or whatever. Uh, yep. But like having that collected by the actual brand will be kind of cuts out the middleman for some people. I'm sure other people will. Personal shopping is probably never going to die, I'd, I'd reckon. <laughs> I agree. Not everyone um, wants to do that. I don't always want to do that. I get it. Yeah, yeah. But sometimes I've, you need yeah. the special occasion. Like, right. do you need clothes in general or do you need special occasion clothes? Yeah, and, yeah, exactly. You know, people shop different right. ways. Thank yeah. goodness. <laughs> Ab- yes, absolutely. Um, so let's touch on really quick, since you mentioned it, SGE. This is Google announced this at I.O., Mm-hmm. Um, and you said it stands for search gen- generative experience. So okay. it's their experience. introduction of the LLMs or the large language models, mm-hmm. um, the chat GPTs, their version yeah. BARD uh, yeah. within search directly rather than searching BARD separately. Oh, gotcha. So you would say something like, let's not prompt me. Oh, I'm a pretend you're a New York Italian male who's five, five and, and overweight or whatever. You're going to a wedding. What would you buy? But it, it's, it's more like that, right? It's like, this is my build. This is what I'm doing. Yeah. Show me stuff, right? Yep. Interesting. Yes. And it's even, I mean, it's it's broad. I think it's mostly in applications of like local um, and shopping a lot of. Nice. Um, so instead sense, of right? trying to search for, I want to look for, because when you think about it, like you're going to a specific occasion and you have specific needs or requirements mm-hmm. around what you purchase for that event. You know, even if it's like a car. So, for example, I took a vacation in the Caribbean and we need, we I was looking, I wanted a convertible. How mm-hmm. come? That's an aside, but rental companies, like, why are there no convertibles? <laughs> I'm literally on a tropical island. When would I not be in a convertible? Right. But, like, I'm seeking very specific information and you know, marketing and corporations and big businesses don't necessarily, they want to talk to the masses in general because that's where the volume is. But there's so much in the long tail and in the specific individualized use cases that they're not serving because that's not what the marketing team thought of and that's not what they're putting marketing out about. But, yeah. So UGC enables us to cover those different use cases and talk about them and use all the different words that people would use, even regionally. People are going to call things different things in different areas. Yeah. Um did you know that in the Midwest they call sneakers tennis shoes? Maybe, maybe you did know that. First yeah, time I heard uh, tennis shoes, I was like, "That's a really specific use case for your sneakers." <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that's to me, yeah. tennis shoes is just generalized. Like it's not, it's not for tennis. They're just tennis but, shoes. Yeah. That's <laughs> what do you like, call them? Are they shoes? Are they sneakers? It's a kind yeah. of shoe. Yeah. On um, the East Coast, we say sneakers. Yeah. Uh, I think in like the Southern Eastern area, they say gym shoes. Mm. Um, and like in Georgia, all soda is Coke, right? So like I want a Sprite Coke. 
is what yes. they'll say. Yeah, there's um, the pop and coke is yeah, the classic yeah. Oh, yeah, debate that coke, I don't know yeah. anyone calls it pop anymore, but I know. Um, but it's like in, in Phil, I live outside Philly now and they call Italian ice water ice or water oh, ice, okay. which is like crazy because that's like the same state of two different uh, <laughs> that's like the same state. Same thing. Yeah, it's water and water. Yeah. Um anyway, that's super interesting. I just wanted to touch on that really quick because I hadn't Absolutely. I hadn't really dug into it yet. Oh, um, it's coming. It's it's a thing we all need to prepare for. Yes. It's going to be interesting. Uh, Awesome. I want to wrap up here before we get into the pro show, of course. I want to wrap up with uh, something I teased at the beginning, right? Because you do a lot of stuff with data. Obviously, Mm -hmm. UGC is just a ton of data um, Mm -hmm. that you're getting as well. But uh, you specifically mentioned in the pre-show, like using data to determine what to call your product. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is something I am notoriously bad at. My members know that I have changed the name of my membership I think four times in three years Mm -hmm. Um, because I'm just like, oh, I'll call it How I Built a Pro, but it's really the creator crew. Well, now it's How I Built a Pro again. Now it's maybe like the Automator's Workshop. Like, I haven't asked anybody. I'm just like, this feels right to me. So um, where where do you get data to, Mm -hmm. let's say, help you name a product or help you position Mm -hmm. a product? Um, Like, do you just say like, what should I call this? Or... Um, So you're... I'd say there's two primary use cases um, mm. or places, types types of places to look at. Yeah. So you can look to search volume data. So again, that's the Ahrefs, the SEMrush, the Google Keyword Planner, the Moz, whatever tool that's going to give you data about what people are looking for. And then you can see how often they look for this thing versus that thing, and then you can compare them. Um, you can also see, you know, going to Google directly, is this already taken? Do, are people already talking about this? Do I want to, like, how competitive is it? And are there people in my category attempting to already rank for these things? Because that's going to make it harder to show up. Um, and it might mean you have trademark issues. So, it, you know, it, it's similar to you have to go to your secretary safe site. You have to do mm-hmm. the trademark search. Um, you know, that's another data source to understand right. what's already taken. Um, another data source that we really love to use is, is kind of the web as a whole and especially social media sites. So I'm talking YouTube, I'm talking TikTok, um, anywhere that I can crawl, I can get data from about how people are engaging with information. So are people, you know, we're talking watch data, how long did they view this video? How did they comment on it? Did they like it? Um, anything that's externally available that you can get at scale. So we can use the YouTube API to get a lot of this data yeah. to understand how people are engaging. So we use that for a lot of different use cases. One of those things is around brand positioning. So do you want to call this, for example, a web series or a podcast? There's going to be people, a different number of people calling it different things. So a web series can be also a podcast, right? Um, so, the, you know, obviously there's some form function difference between those terms. But uh, the example I'd use is the public HR company that I've worked with that wanted to figure out, do they call it HR consulting? Do they call it an HR platform? Do they call it um, an HR service? Do they call it something else that's not HR? Do they call it human resources? Long right. um, so it's not changing their brand name per se, but it is how they classify themselves um, and how they position themselves in the industry. So across all of your data that you're looking at, because this is not the only data you'd want to consider for that. You know, there is branding, there is the legal implications, there's other, right. there's other things to consider. But are people looking for one thing over the other? And do we think that those people are your customer? Do we think that they can afford you? Um, you know, because people that are looking for an HR technology platform might have a different willingness to pay than an HR consulting service. Um, so you can de- dive into the data there. 
You can also, to my example earlier, look for your competitors. So it's a different use case about what do you want to build in your course? How do you want to be different? What topics are not covered? What topics are most popular um, within your course material? Um, You could see if people are looking for courses on XYZ. And you could see how frequently that happens. You can look at competitors and see if it's different there. Um, And you can use that to determine your content programming decisions. What do you want to make next? There's a million different use cases if you can understand user behavior and what they care about and how you want to leverage that. Yeah, really, first, really good point about are these people your customer, right? Because uh, your customers might use, especially if it's like very industry or niche specific, Mm-hmm. they might be using different terms than like Gen Pop would, right? Um, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's that's really interesting. And then I like how you mentioned like just search USPTO or the, the trademark office in your country, I guess, mm-hmm. um, to make sure. I uh, Again, I named a program recently, uh, Podcast Mastery. I just asked uh, ChatGPT what I should name it. Um, but since it's an LLM, right, it's pulling from other, like it noticed that mastery just showed up a lot probably. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things I did was go to the USPTO, make sure mm-hmm. podcast mastery wasn't trademarked. It was not. Uh, I tried to buy the domain from the guy who owned it. And then he told me he had a trademark on it. And I said, oh, Lies. that's really interesting because I actually checked the USPTO and he never responded to that, obviously. <laughs> I'm like, yep, you got to be using gross. the trademark to get it. Yep. Um, so really, really interesting stuff. Tori, this has been really, really fun. I feel like we covered a wide range of topics here, but um, I think the big takeaways are talk to your customers uh, or potential users. Get, listen to your customers. Yeah, listen, listen. Mm-hmm. Right, very good. Um, listen, uh, encourage UGC, not just for the sake of, of testimonials or social engagement, but also to create better products um, and and create better positioning for your products. I love that. Um, so if people want to learn more about you, where can they find you? Uh, you can Google Tori Gray or the Gray Dot Company. We will we will show up. You'll go on a gray.co. You'll find us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Nice. I love how you said Google Tori Gray. That's like a flex, right? <laughs> like Google and I'll show it up. It is what I do. If we don't yes. show up for our name, there's a problem. Yeah, for sure. And then also your URL is thegray.company. Mm-hmm. Like that's the URL, uh, which, yes. and it's called the great Instead dot. Of a dot com. It's a dot company. You can yeah. also go to dot co. I got, uh, Love in it. case, cause not everyone. Yeah. It doesn't translate well audibly. Visually it's, it's very cool. Yeah. It explains the brand. It's a whole deal. Yes. It's great. But. So good. Awesome. Um, well, thank you so much for your time today. If you want to hear us talk about Reddit in the pro show and get that ad free, you can head over to casabona.org slash join. I will include all of the links that Tori mentioned and some uh, some other relevant stuff in the show notes over at howibuilt.it slash 324. Going back to earlier, that's why I didn't want to change the name because the URL is just too good. Um, yeah. So howibuilt.it slash 324. Tori, thanks so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been wonderful. And thank you to everybody listening. Thanks so much to the sponsors of this episode. And until next time, get out there and build something.